0: Thank you for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this will lift your heart and encourage you, to set your eyes more fully on Jesus as we open God's word together. You can join us anytime in person or online in our live stream. You can find that at redemptionhildc.org. If you're not in D.C., we encourage you to get involved in a local church where you live for the sake of encouragement and accountability in a local body, but we're also glad to have you join us and and walk through this study with us. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill, you can do so at our website, again, redemptionhilldc.org. Father, as we come to you this morning, we ask that you would help us. We need your spirit to move in us and And today in particular, I want to pray that um, for all of us as we look at our own lives and we see the points where we have tripped, the points where we have fallen, the points where we have let others down and, and feel like we've let you down, Lord Jesus, that you would show us what restoration looks like, that you would show us what it looks like to follow you, which is what you call us to do. And so we lift this time in our hearts to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in John chapter 21 today. Today we are closing out the Gospel of John. Um, we've, we've been in the Gospel of John for a little bit here, um, but today is, is the finish of it. And so John chapter 21, if you have a Bible, it'll also be on the screens for you. If you or you can pull open your phone or whatever device you have. Um, as, we can, as we close up the Gospel of John, I want to remind you that each one of the four Gospels is a portrait of Jesus. It introduces us to Jesus, and each one of the four has a different emphasis as it does that. And so in John's Gospel, it begins by establishing that at the beginning of all things, that before creation, the Word was with God and was God, and and that the eternal Word became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ that God took on flesh and dwelt among us and light came into the darkness. And, and so we've been following that all the way through John's gospel. And we saw last week that, that he tells us, John tells us the purpose of why he wrote all this down at, at the end of chapter 20 when he says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. Remember, this gospel covers about 21 days in Jesus' life. John was very selective about the things that he pulled out, but he's saying there was a lot more that happened which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so as we come to the close, the 21st chapter is often looked at as a little bit of an epilogue. Like John kind of closes his gospel there saying this is the purpose that all this was written down for you. And then he has this one, it's almost like John is saying like, Oh, hold on, wait a second, there's one other thing you need to know about. And John is writing these throughout the gospel. He's called himself the disciple who Jesus loved, and I think that even when we hear that, we can think about that as being like a prideful thing. I think I usually, when I, when for a long time, when I heard that, I was like, John's going like, yeah, I'm the one, like Jesus loved me, setting him apart. But I really think that it's kind of the opposite. I think for John, the overwhelming characteristic when he thinks about himself is that he is one who is loved by Christ. And that, that is his identifying and defining mark of his life. And so as we look at this chapter, Jesus, we're going to see another resurrection appearance of Jesus. Jesus was spent about 40 days after his resurrection and before he ascended to heaven. And we only have a few moments from that time that were recorded for us. And each one of, one of those moments gives us a glimpse into who Jesus is, what the resurrection and the resurrection body are like, and some of the most memorable moments for the disciples. And so as we look at this passage in particular, um, this one has been a, an important passage in my life. God has used this chapter at a few key points in my life. From back in 1996, the fir- my first felt calling to pastoral ministry came through this text. Um, in 2009, this passage was part of God preparing my heart and Alyssa's heart to, that led to the planting of her in, in my work as and how it's impacted me, and hopefully that will help you as well today. But today is a call to each one of us to follow Jesus, and so this is what we read in chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. He said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple, whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord! When Simon heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon and Peter went... And hauled, went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, one hundred fifty-three of them. And although there were not, there, although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, "Come and have breakfast." Now none of the disciples dared ask him, "Who are you?" They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus took the bread, came and took bre- the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you that when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and who had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And Peter saw him and said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that, it was, that he was not to die But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so ends John's gospel. It is always kind of bittersweet to me when we come to this point in our series, Redemption Hill, because it's great, it's, it's good to be able to say, like, we've completed this study, we've been in this study together. Even if you've just joined us in the last few weeks or months, you're, you're part of this, and we've come to this closure as a church, and it's beautiful and good every time we can say that we've studied a book of the Bible together. And yet, I also read this and go, gosh, I don't know when we'll be back in the Gospel of John for a long series. Um, and so it's been sweet to walk through this series with you. I'm with, so I'm going to walk through pretty quickly today, and then we're going to center in and focus in on Peter, because there's an important thing that happens with Peter in this passage that, that, that is really, I think, a major focus of this text and why John included it at the end, which I love, too, that here we've seen all, the way, all along the way that John, more than any other gospel writer, gives little bits of insight, and he gives us, like, what's really going on behind the scenes, and, and even here we see some of that as he, as he, as he even closes by saying, this, I'm, this is me. I was the one that he was referring to, the disciple who wrote this down. And so as we look at this, Jesus appeared to the disciples. and so four things that we see of the resurrected Jesus in this passage, and again, we're going to walk through these, these real quick. Um, first, Jesus satisfies our hearts. It's striking to me that in in all four of the people of the appearances we've had, three to the disciples, but also to Mary Magdalene, we see that Jesus meets the people that loved him in their humanity. He meets them in their needs and their doubts and their questions and their fears. And then the four times we've seen the risen Jesus interact with people so far, we've seen the first time that Mary was there alone at the tomb and and Jesus came to her and it was when he spoke her name that she was seen and realized and celebrated that the the Lord Jesus had been raised from the dead. Then he appeared to the ten disciples locked in a room and as he came to them, remember he said, he said, peace be with you. He said, You guys are afraid. There's, you're, you're captured in fear right now. You don't know what's going on, but, but here I am. Put your hands, put your fingers in the holes in my hands. Touch my side. I've brought you peace. And then Thomas came to the, he heard from his brothers, these other disciples as the 10 told him, like, hey, Jesus came, and we got to put our fingers in his hands and our hand on his side, and Thomas said, why wasn't I there? Why did Jesus choose a moment when I wasn't there? If I don't get that opportunity, I don't think I can believe. And so Jesus came to Thomas in particular, and in the midst of his skepticism, welcomed him and drew him close and said, Thomas, I'm right here. Peace be with you. And now we have seven of the disciples that go out fishing. It's where the story starts for them. If you go back to Luke chapter 5, you see that this is, Peter was on a fishing trip with James and John and others when he, they, he was initially called by Jesus. And so they go back to what they're used to. They were used to fishing. Now, some people have said, like, they shouldn't have been there. They should have been in Jerusalem. There's no indication of that. They just they went home, and they were probably hungry, and they needed something to do, so they went out fishing. And so Jesus meets them right where they are and meets their needs in this passage as well. And that's the second. So Jesus satisfies our hearts, but he also supplies our needs. I love that Jesus, this is the, the amazing thing here, right? Like, Picture this scene, first of all. Just get into the story for a minute. It's the gray of twilight. The sun is just beginning to rise over the ridge to the east of the Sea of Galilee. In the Golan Heights. And so as the sun begins to rise, it's not even visible over the horizon yet, but you know that, like gray of dawn where it's hard to see, where everything's kind of gray. And, you, and so they're about 100 yards. That's a football field offshore. And so there's somebody standing on the shore, a football field away, and sound carries over water. And so Jesus here, it says children. I think the best way, the best translation of the Greek here is actually boys. And so they don't know who it is. They just see some guy on the shore going, Hey, boys, I was fishing last night. Like, this is a normal interaction. We hear this and we're like, how did they not know it was Jesus when he said, put your nets on the other side? If you have ever gone fishing and run into anybody else and you say like, ah, we haven't caught anything yet, you will get fishing advice. I know because most of my fishing experience is being skunked just like Peter. Um, And so I take great comfort here that when Jesus said to them like, hey, you're going to be fishers of men, I'm like, okay, at least God called me to that (laughs) because I'm not a very good fisher of fish. But it's, this is normal that if you're saying, like, if you're standing out on a dock and you're like, yeah, I'm not getting anything today. And people will be like, hey, have you tried, have you tried this for bait? Have you tried this? You have you have know, this technique? Or cast over there. You, know, you can see all these bushes over there. That's where you'll get them. That happens. And so he yells out, boys, did you get anything? And they say, no. Which I have to believe that Peter was a better fisherman than we see in the Bible because every time we see him, he has nothing. But he had a whole business. And so Jesus gives that kind of advice hey, why don't you try the other side of the boat? And they do, and it's at that moment, Jesus brings the fish to the net, that, that John is the first to identify. John has the insight. Peter has the action, just like the tomb, right? John is the one that runs to the tomb and looks in. Peter is the one that just runs straight through. And Peter jumps into the shore. But this is the amazing thing. When they get to the shore, Jesus brought a miraculous catch of fish, but he already had fish on the fire. He didn't have to wait for them to get there. He was already supplying their needs before they even got to the shore. And so he made breakfast for them. He invited them to come close. After being out all night, he he was in the gray of dawn saying, come here, there's light, there's warmth, come and sit down, come and eat fish and bread. And so Jesus didn't stop serving his people after washing the disciples' feet. Even the resurrected Lord still served his own. He supplies our needs. The third is that Jesus sends us out. We've seen this, that when Jesus appeared to the disciples, he told them, you're going to be my witnesses. If you you know you're gonna have the Holy Spirit, and if you forgive the sins of of any, they are forgiven. He's saying if you go preach this good news, people are gonna come to forgiveness. But if you don't, they won't have that opportunity. And so so remember that. And that these fishermen were told they would be fishers of men. And I love this because what we see here is a an image of how the gospel works. Now you can go and read different commentaries and sermons on this passage that allegorize the whole thing and get into all kinds of detail that I think is interesting, but I don't think it's necessary the text and so you'll have people be like well there were 153 fish and at this time there were 153 known people groups and so jesus is saying that we will gather fish from all the people of the earth maybe i think they were fishermen and like any fisherman when i have caught fish i'm like look we got three (laughs) and so you're like somebody counted these things so i don't think we need to allegorize it that way but i do think that this is how the gospel works So for those of you who are Christians, those of you who are laboring, working, want to see God work, are longing for and praying for and and working towards seeing actual revival, seeing people's needs met, seeing the gospel make an impact in the city that we live in, it is hard because it can feel sometimes like we have been out all night working hard. We are worn out from straining at the nets and our minds get worn out by lack of sleep and rest. Our hearts get worn out by being stuck with others in a boat who get cranky because we're not catching anything and just and we just never know when Jesus is going to show up and work we don't know when he's going to show up and and say like now is the time now I'm going to bring these fish in now I'm going to bring a harvest all of your work is going to come to its fruition like they didn't let the nets down any differently than they did the whole rest of the night I don't think it's that they didn't let the nets down on both sides of the boat I think they had been working all night, but they, they weren't different nets. They didn't have a new or innovative fishing technology. It's not like Jesus gave them depth finders and fish finders and said, all right, here you go, now you have the tools. There wasn't some secret bait they used. They just let down the nets. It wasn't a secret spot where the fish really were. Like, there was no superstition here. It wasn't a mantra. They, they just listened to Jesus when he said, let down the nets. They let down the nets and Jesus brought the fish in. Keep this in mind in seasons and stretches of our life in ministry together as a church where it feels like we are getting worn out and worn down. We're just not seeing the fruitfulness that we want to see around us that we never know when Jesus is going to show up and work. That it doesn't take doing things differently than the church has done them for the last couple thousand years. It doesn't take new methodology or innovative technology. It doesn't take some sort of secret bait because we know that what we win people with is what we win them to. And so if we win people with some kind of entertainment performance, we got to keep that going forever. If we win them with Jesus, they're going to love Jesus. It's not some secret spot where the fish really were, like we've got to go discover it. We live here. He's put us right where we're supposed to be. It's not some formula or mantra that we've got to pray the right way or the right formulaic thing that we do. It is that Jesus will eventually bring the fish. So Jesus sends us out. We've got to be faithful and obedient. And fourth, see, fastest sermon ever at Redemption Hill. <laughs> four, four points and we're already at point four. Jesus calls us to follow him. And this is where we get into Peter. Now this scene, this, John paints a picture for us and tells us a story, and you can tell that John was there. You can almost feel the cool dampness of the morning. He talks about a charcoal fire, the only other place that's mentioned in his gospel, and I think in the New Testament, is earlier on, the night when Jesus was arrested, that they came into the high priest's courtyard, and remember John had a connection, so he, he knew somebody that worked for the high priest, and so he was inside, and then he got Peter inside, and Peter went and he stood and warmed himself with the soldiers who had just arrested Jesus, with a cousin of the guy whose head he tried to take off, Malchus, and he only caught his ear, and Jesus had to heal him. Like Peter went and stood to warm himself with all of those people, and at a charcoal fire. That's where he denied Jesus. He denied Jesus once as he went into the courtyard and twice standing at that charcoal fire. Now, I don't know about you, but I can tell if anybody lights charcoal within a six-block radius of me because immediately I want burgers and ribs. <laughs> you smell it, and it, it has a distinctive aroma. As, they lit this char- as, he, as Peter came in, the fact that Jesus already was cookers' failure to this point, Because that'll help us to understand what Jesus does here through this back half of chapter 21. When Peter was first introduced to Jesus, we see that in John chapter 1. That it tells us that one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. So Andrew is Simon Peter's brother. I love this because poor Andrew, that's how he's introduced in this gospel. Andrew doesn't get to stand on his own. It's like, well, he's Peter's brother. Andrew was mentioned before this. This is the first time Peter's mentioned. But he found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. That's the anointed one, the son of David who has come, the one prophesied. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. It also means rock. Now, this is important to you. I just said as a note I think we, I don't know how you think of the disciples, but Peter had to be a decent-sized guy. He was a workman, he fished his whole life, again, hopefully better than what we see him do in the Bible, but I want to just show, note to you that there were seven disciples on that boat who were struggling to get the nets in, and it does say, even though Peter abdicated the boat and was like, you guys deal with this, and jumped in to go see Jesus, when they got to the shore, the dude went and pulled the net in on, on his own, and so I Again, I think we can... There is a spiritual underlying reality to Jesus calling him rock, but I also think we need to re- re- remember that they gave each other nicknames. These were 12 guys, 13 guys with Jesus that hung out for three years. They were still guys. We have some that they were like, you're the sons of thunder, <laughs> like, because they wanted to... Have Jesus call down fire on all the Samaritans. Like so here, like this there's something here, but Jesus Peter gets a nickname right away. It was Andrew, his brother, that first went and said, We found the Messiah. And then in Luke chapter 5, so that was the introduction. And what makes sense then when you get to Luke chapter 5 and they're out fishing? Similar story. They've been fishing all night. They hadn't caught anything. They come into shore, and Jesus said to them, Hey, let down your nets on the other side. And, and as they did, they were straining at the nets. And, and so, so the nets were, were threatening to break. And, and as they caught those fish and, and Peter realized what was happening, he fell down on his knees in front of Jesus and he said, "'Depart from me, I'm a sinful man.'" See, Peter was confronted in that moment with the majesty and glory of Jesus, and just like any time we see people interact with God's presence in all of Scripture, it exposes our own hearts, and so he fell down in confession. But Jesus said to him, don't be afraid, from now on you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Both Matthew and Mark record this same story, but they say, they quote Jesus as saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so this is from the very beginning. This is the call that Peter received from Jesus. He received this call, follow me. And that shapes everything that follows. Throughout his life, that calling was renewed over and over again. As Jesus said, follow me. In Matthew 16, we get to a point where, where Jesus had, had been doing some miracles, he had been teaching, there was kind of like, uh, uh, there was the, the, the crowds were growing, the, there was news that was spreading, and so Jesus came and said, hey, what are people saying about me? He said, well, some say you're Elijah, some say a prophet, but he said, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter was the first of the disciples to say, well, you're the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah the son of the living God. And and Jesus said, all right, Peter, that's true, but my father revealed that to you. He's saying, you've gotten some insight here. But then he went on. He said, the son of man has to die. And Peter said, no, 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 that's not gonna happen. But Jesus then went on and told them, it says he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and what, church? Follow me. Same call is renewed. Whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So again, the call to Peter here when he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus doesn't say, that's great, now let's talk about religious restrictions, let's talk about doing more and trying harder. The simple call is, follow me. Then we get to chapter 13 of John, as we continue to walk through, and chapter 13 is fascinating. John is the only one that records Jesus washing the disciples' feet. If you remember when we were in chapter 13, Jesus said, all right, I'm going to wash all of your feet. And Peter, again, man of action, quick opinions, strong opinions, jumps in with both feet and then is also really teachable. Like he can go 180 degrees in an instant. And so Peter says, like, you are never going to wash my feet. Like, Jesus, this is not going to happen. You are not going to get that low and do that for us. Like, no way. And he says, well, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you could have no part with me. And Peter's like, all right, Jesus, wash all of me. <laughs> and he says, settle down. You've already bathed. And he goes on to say, you're clean. Like Jesus in a lot of places, there's layered meaning where he's saying, no, you're, you've been made holy, but he, I need to wash your feet. Well, we get to the end of that, and Jesus predicts his, predicted his betrayal. John was laying next to Jesus, reclining at the table. Remember they, that often people would lay down on pillows with a low table like, and, and hold themselves up on their left elbow as they would eat together. It says that Peter motioned to John, who was right next to Jesus, when Jesus said, someone's going to betray me. And Peter was like, hey, who? So John leaned back. It says that he leaned his head against Jesus' chest. And Jesus identified Judas and told him to go and do what he had to do. And after that happened, he tells the disciples, after Judas had gone out, he says, hey, there's a new commandment. The Son of Man is about to be glorified, and you have to love one another. That's how people will know you. But I'm going to go now. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And it says that Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, listen to this, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. Can you imagine how Peter heard that? His whole time with Jesus so far, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. Peter, where I'm going, you're not, you can't follow me, but you'll follow me afterward. Peter says, Lord, why, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. He's like, what are you talking about? This is what you've called me to the whole way. I'm not leaving now. And Jesus said, will you, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I tell you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. In John 18, The story continued Jesus was arrested Peter did follow him into the high priest's courtyard but there he denied him three times again two of the last two of those three coming at a charcoal fire in quick succession and he grew more emphatic with each denial no I do not know the man Some of the gospels record that he made he swore and made oaths. I swear I don't know him. I I promise on this thing. And so he he denied Jesus three times. And the rooster crowed. And it tells us in Luke that Jesus' eyes met Peter's, and Peter went out and wept. We don't hear about Peter again until Resurrection Sunday. He disappears. He didn't follow Jesus to the cross. So this is a devastating blow. This is Peter. This is the rock on whom the church is to be built. That's in Matthew 16, and when he said, you are the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus says, listen, my Father revealed this to you, and you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He was to be the key leader when Jesus had had gone to be back with the Father. And and, and, and so this is devastating to Peter. It's devastating to the disciples. I mean, how many movements and organizations do we see that are just devastated and torn down Down by the failure of their leader. And typically it falls into like the triad, right? Of money, sex, or power. But it wasn't that for Peter. He just flat denied having any knowledge of or connection with Jesus. And again, the chosen leader on whom the church would be built, the one that the disciples would be looking to in the midst of the chaos of that, that couple of days and that overnight as Jesus is arrested and they watch as he's, from a distance as he's beaten, they, they weren't even there except for John at the, at the foot of the cross in the, in the crucifixion. But in the midst of all of that, they would have been looking to Peter to, say, to know, like, what do we do? What, do? what are the next steps? Do we jump in? Do we, do we fall back? Do we hide? Do we pray? Like, what happens now? But he had abandoned Jesus himself and he had failed the fundamental call, follow me. So that's what brings us to John chapter 21. Now, it's important that on on the morning of the resurrection, do you you remember that that Mary went running and and she she went to Peter and John. So again, they were looking to Peter as a key leader. She went to Peter and John, they went running to the tomb, but but they they saw that the tomb was empty and they went back to their homes and... And then I love that, that, that when Jesus sends Mary back, she, she goes running back to the disciples. And Jesus says, like, go to my brothers. And Peter is, is with them. And, and so he's with the disciples, but, but, as, but still there, it had to be in his mind. I mean, again, we're not talking about that long after here. And so the, the disciples, you can, I love here that, too, you can tell that they're still not sure about stuff. Like, we don't know what Jesus looked like resurrected. We don't know if it, how different it might have been. I mean, there is something different about him because he can just show up in locked rooms, but still he's physical because he can meet, eat fish. Like, that's in his first resurrection appearance, I think it's in Luke, is where, where he says, like, hey, do you have anything to eat? Like, it's been, it's been a few days. I've been through some stuff. And so here, like, there's still, it says that they, they didn't dare ask him who it was, because they knew that it was the Lord, but that shows like even there as they're sitting around the fire for breakfast, cooking fish together, they're still kind of looking at Jesus going like, is it? You know, it's John who had the insight... And says, hey, that guy who just yelled at, us, yelled at us from the shore, that that's Jesus. Look, he did the same miracle. Peter's the one, I don't know, and I don't know the dynamics of fishing. Like, some of this stuff just feels backwards to me. Like, he put on his coat. I don't know how that would make him swim better. But, but people say that it may have been that he had just stripped it down to the waist as he was working the nets. So he just put the arms back in and jumped in. He swims to shore, eager to get to Jesus. And they finish breakfast together. And Jesus is met with some questions. at a charcoal fire, surrounded by seven of the 11 disciples. And Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Three times, Peter affirms it, three times, Jesus says, you're gonna feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And so here, Peter, who had a threefold denial of Christ, that ended at a a charcoal fire, sits at a charcoal fire with Jesus and has a threefold restoration. And Peter's grieved by asking, being asked three times. And here again, you'll hear it preached, and I've, I may have taught in the past that you know the first two are phileo, the last one's agap- agapao or agap- agapo. And so Peter can say he loves Jesus like a brother, but doesn't love him purely with God love. That, that really here, those two terms in the New Testament and the Septuagint get used almost interchangeably. John uses them interchangeably. Paul uses them interchangeably. So he like says Demas loved the world, agape love. So I don't think that's God's love. <laughs> And so at this point in classical Greeks, yes, Lewis's four loves are true. It's a great book and a great grid. But by the time of the Greek use of this time, I don't think that's what grieved Peter was the use of the word, different words love in the Greek. And by the way, Jesus was probably talking Aramaic. <laughs> so it's stylistic. And we don't have to look past the text about why Peter was grieved. It tells us. It says... He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, which, first of all, do you notice that all three of them, he says, Simon, son of John? Like, that's, he's using his full name here. I feel like that's when, like, you hear from your mom and you get first and middle name. (laughs) Like, it would be one thing if I was, if my parents were yelling, Bill, or when I was a kid, it was Bill, Billy. But it was another thing if they said William Sanford Rydell. I was like, oh, gosh. So Jesus says, "Simon, son of John." But the third time he says, "It says, you love me?'" And Peter was grieved. Why? Because he said to him a third time, "Do you love me?" This is we again. We don't have to look beyond the text. Like if if I leave this service today, or I get home tonight after the evening service, and, and I get home, and, and Alyssa says, "Hey, do you love me?" You are like, "Yeah, I love you, babe." She asks the second time, like, "Hey." Do you love me? Like, my mind would start wondering (laughs) what happened, what didn't happen, what I say, what I didn't say, what I do, what I didn't do. Yeah, yeah, I love you. You know that. If my wife asks me a third time in in short succession if I love her, I'm starting to freak out. So it makes sense here that Peter, three times from Jesus, and he's going like, hold on, he's grieved, he's going, what is happening but look at the change in Peter's response. The first two times, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The third time he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. It, he switches the order there. The first two times is a personal statement backed up with his understanding of Jesus that Jesus knows his heart. The third time he says, you know what? I'm starting to question whether I love you. Jesus, you know everything better than I do including my own heart. And so it shows something of his view of Jesus. But there are, I want you to see today that there are two aspects to his restoration. That, that the first is vocational. That he tells Peter what he's going to do and he does this publicly in front of the disciples so that they can see the one who had denied Jesus three times was now restored by Jesus because he did tell profess his love for Jesus three times and three times he told Peter what to do you notice that it's not what to be it's not an office he uses verbs not nouns so he doesn't say, "Be a pastor, hold office as an elder," which P- which Peter went on to do. But he says, "What does he say?" He says, "No." He says to him, "Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep." And so it's a total restoration of Peter's leadership role. And so what's clear here is that Peter's love of the Lord and the evidence of his reinstatement aren't simp- are, are are to be displayed in his pastoral care for the Lord's flock. Remember, Jesus said, "I am the good shepherd." I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, and I'm going to lay myself down for the sheep. And he's saying to Peter, you now are going to care for my sheep. And so Peter is publicly restored to his position of leadership. I mentioned that this passage has been important to me at three key points in my life. Um, in 1996, after my sophomore year of high school, um, I had ruptured four ligaments in my right ankle, which was horrible and at the time the surgical procedures they have at the time I had my right my left ankle rebuilt in 2020 um, right I had kind of like a pre-pandemic quarantine stuck in for my my ankle re, re, rebuild but the techniques were so different 20 years later and when I told them about the procedure they did on my right ankle they, the doc looked at me like I was in the Smithsonian <laughs> like you had what <laughs> But it ended football for me. I had like a crisis in my life. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I sit and was reading scripture. And I came to this passage and I felt like Jesus could be talking to me. I didn't like the church at the time. I, the idea of spending the rest of my life in a church sounded horrible. But this began breaking my heart. And I felt like Jesus was saying, if you love me, you're going to feed my sheep. And so here for us today, I say that to say that this doesn't mean that everybody has the same vocational calling. It doesn't. And it's it's a calling to action here more than office. But But Jesus does care about our lives and will use us for his glory. Now, look at John and Jesus' words to John and to Peter. They had different things that Jesus was calling them to. And so we need to be careful not to get caught up in the ministry that God calls others to do. Remember 1 Corinthians 12, this is that the church is one body with many parts but within the call to follow Jesus, we'll find specific callings in each one of our lives that there's certain giftedness we have or opportunities that we'll have to step in that is going to be different person to person to person. And I want you to hear that you don't have to be a missionary across the ocean to follow Jesus. You don't have to go to seminary to follow Jesus. You don't need to be a pastor or on staff at a church to follow Jesus. And, and some of you may be called to that. But if you're called to vocational ministry, you won't be able to escape that calling or be satisfied doing anything outside of it. But we need to see that everything in our lives has an element of vocation. The word vocation came out of the Reformation in the, in the, within an understanding of the priesthood of all believers, that we look at, it's not just holy vocations of going into church work that count, but all of life is vocation. And so now we use that for career, but that's actually rooted in the Reformation, So that we need to see the work that we do, anything we do that joins God in his good work of forming or filling or cultivating good in this world can be part of the vocational calling we have that Christ is calling us to and that we are to reflect the gospel into our spheres of influence. And the reality is that if you read Ephesians 4, those who work in leadership in the church are actually not the ones on the front lines. They exist to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so all of us have a vocational aspect to calling and what Jesus asks us to do. But it doesn't stop there. He went on, and there's also a personal aspect to this. That Peter here is, he's, he has a pretty cryptic thing to say to Peter, right? And so we have like, feed my sheep. He goes, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. And John tells us, He told Peter how he was going to die. Tradition is that Peter was crucified, like Jesus. He literally took up his cross to follow Jesus in the end. Tradition has that Peter didn't feel like he deserved and was worthy of the same death as Jesus, so he requested to be crucified upside down. And so this was, but do you see what what Jesus says after this? He says, Peter, this is not going to go well for you. You're going to feed my sheep, you're going to tend my lambs, you're going, to, you're going to take care of my people, and when you get old, just like me, you're going to have your hands stretched out, you're going to be led to a place you don't want to go. But what does he say? Follow me. He's saying, Peter, whatever you're called to vocationally, whatever I'm asking you to do in activity, what it comes back to is the same calling from the beginning, the same calling from the first time there was a miraculous catch of fish. He says, Peter, follow me. And I love that Peter turns here, and he's like, he's like well, what about him? Like Peter understood what Jesus was saying. He's like, okay. He looks around, and he sees John, and he goes, what about John? And what does Jesus say? Hey, if I keep him around until I return, what is that to you? Peter, stop worrying about other people's callings. You? Follow me. This is a personal calling back to follow Jesus as the ultimate and first calling that Peter has. In 2009, I, um, this past, I came back to this text. And over the summer, was really assessing. We were in Indianapolis. I served for four years in youth ministry in a church there. It was starting to feel restless, and Alyssa and I actually came to a point together of reading this passage again, and where I had heard it 13 years earlier as a call toward vocation 2009, this is what struck me, that Jesus had a personal call to Peter, and that, that he restored Peter, and yes, that was for the sake of others, there's no question about Peter's leadership role, but that's not what it was primarily about, it was primarily about his heart. Christianity is hard and following Jesus is hard, but it's not complicated. And so it's a call simply to follow Jesus, to love God with all that you are and love others as yourself. And so, so Peter was being reminded here, like, Peter, whatever happens, whatever you do, wherever you're led, the calling is follow me. And so for us as a family, that was what prepared our hearts that led us on a journey that I would never want to repeat, where we lived, when we left Indianapolis, we had kids who were four, three, and five months old. Four years, three years, and five months old, not four, three, that would have been impossible. And we lived in five houses in nine months, and landed on Capitol Hill to start a church. Like, what a ludicrous idea. But... We felt like we were following Jesus along the way, more tied to follow him than about the specifics of what we were doing. For us, I hope this can be a reminder to you. Follow Jesus. Don't let it get too complicated. We get so caught up in what Jesus is calling us to do that we forget that he's more concerned about our hearts and that we are with him. And so today, he might be inviting you in to sit with him at that fire and have breakfast to supply your needs and care for your heart and simply remind you, follow me. And the more that we add to complicate what it means to follow Jesus, the more we diminish him. All right, and finally, we come to the aftermath. Peter became the key leader of the church. He did just what Jesus was saying, and, and it's amazing because the same guy that deserted Jesus, that denied knowing him on the night when he was arrested, that in Acts 2, we see that the Holy Spirit came upon the, the, the apostles, They that he, Jesus said, wait here, the Spirit's going to come upon you. They spilled into the streets of Jerusalem, preaching the good news of Jesus, fulfilling the prophecies of Joel chapter 2. They preached, and everybody could hear them in their own language, and so there they were people gathered from all over the World that were there for the festival of Pentecost, and as they preached, G- Peter stood up and preached the, his first sermon. And as he preached his first sermon, a fisherman there were 3,000 people that turned to follow Jesus that day and were baptized. And Peter's big hook, his way that he made the gospel palatable to his hearers, is he said. The the one that you crucified, the Jesus you crucified, is the Messiah. You killed the Messiah. Repent and be baptized. 3,000 people came to follow Jesus. They continued to meet together. God added to their number daily those who were being saved as the community of the church formed. And and then about two months after the, the crucifixion, after Jesus had been killed and raised from the dead, Peter was dragged before the Sanhedrin. Like We look at the Gospels and Acts as, I think, different books, different time periods. Two months later, Peter is dragged in front of the Sanhedrin, the same group that Jesus had been dragged before two months earlier, the same courtyard of the high priest where Peter had denied Jesus. He was in the same place. And and they pulled Peter and John before the council in the high priest courtyard because they had healed a guy in the temple, and they said, you need to stop. This has to stop. It has to end. They, and, and they said to them, like, you, you are forbidden to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak about what we've seen and heard. And so they further threatened them, they let them go because they had no way to punish them, because of the people, they were all praising God for what happened, because the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old, which is ancient. <laughs> this is the same Peter, in the same place, in front of the same people, after Jesus had just said, hey, in a little while, your hands are gonna be stretched out and you're gonna be led where you don't wanna go. Peter had to think he was going to his death that day. And yet, in a matter of seven weeks, about two months, maybe a little more than seven weeks, but in a matter of two months, Peter went from denying Jesus in that place to standing and saying, I cannot stop. That same deserter went from being a failure to a follower because Jesus was not done with Peter. For me, this has been a reminder. In 2019, I got to go to Israel for the first time and I stood on the beach where Peter was restored. And when at sunrise, as the sun was coming over the hills of the Golan Heights, in that gray of dawn. And it struck me that Peter was able to put his failure behind him. And I know that some of you, like me, struggle with that. Your own heart and the devil just repeat your failures over you, over and over again on loop. But Peter was able to live more in light of Jesus' calling for him than in light of his own failure in his life. And so listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, you cannot let failure overrule your call. I want you to hear Jesus' words today, for them to penetrate your heart as he says to every waver, every, every reader of this text, the same steadfast pursuit of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you've slipped. It doesn't matter where you've failed. Jesus is not concerned with how you look or what other people think of you. He knows everything about you, and still he says follow me. He calls every one of us today to follow him, but it's not all about vocation. It's it's about following Jesus wherever he leads us, whatever he leads us to, whatever he brings us, and seeing how he opens up opportunities in front of us. And so if you've heard nothing else today, then this is what I want you to hear. If you're not a Christian today, this is Jesus. This is the grace and the love and the mercy of God on display and Jesus' voice is coming to you today saying, follow me. Yes, you've messed up. You've messed up in your life. Follow me. Every one of us is called just like Peter to deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow Jesus knowing that he will satisfy our hearts, he will supply our needs, he sends us out but that we need to return again and again that the call is simple. It's Jesus saying to you, Follow me. Let's pray. Jesus, we are not worthy of your mercy. We don't deserve your grace. Thank you for preserving for us through your witness, John, the things that you did, knowing that this is just a taste, that there aren't enough books in this world to contain everything that you've done. I pray today that you would send your spirit to work in our hearts. That you would bring restoration and healing where people are feeling beat down and broken, that you would, you, that your voice would come to us clearly, Lord Jesus, as you call us to follow you, that we, like Peter, would be willing to trust you. And even when we're looking around at others and saying, what about them? What about this guy? What about that girl? What about what, about what I see over here or over there? That you would remind us that we have a simple call to set our eyes on you and to follow you. So would you... Remind us as we stand and sing, as we celebrate the Lord's table, as we continue to worship and throughout this week of our fundamental call to follow you. And I pray, Jesus, for those who are here that aren't sure and are exploring or trying to test things out or aren't sure where they're at or have walked away and have been, have been gone for a while that, that you would move and they would see the opportunity to come. That they're welcomed in to the warmth of a fire and the provision of a meal to to be welcomed into your presence. We pray in Christ's name, in your name, Lord Jesus, amen.